You're going to pick my cane up for me? Oh, aren't you a nice guy? All right. We'll put it there so we can knock it down again. All right. Let me uh, give you a quick review in this study that we have entered into life after death. I said that uh, we were going to focus not on the intermediate state, that time in which our bodies are in the tomb and our spirits are with the Lord, that we're not going to center in on that particular period of time. I did a a series a number of years ago that maybe some of you would remember that uh, covered that material, but rather I was going to focus on the resurrected state because that is our ultimate and uh, final hope. And so uh, I began by talking about the uh, resurrection body. And we addressed the issues that are raised in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that is, how is it possible that the dead rise? And the short and sweet answer was, it's by the power of God. God can do it. God can raise the dead. God can... Reassemble bodies, those that have been blown up, those that have been cremated, whatever the case may be, no matter what the level of decomposition has taken place, uh, that body is going to rise. So then we looked at the question, well, what kind of body is it? And so we saw that it's a a body that is of indeed uh, flesh and bone. We saw that it is... Primarily a glorious body, meaning that it is even more glorious than the, the body we now have. We have a wonderful body. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. But it pales in comparison to the resurrection body that we will have. And we said that the body that is in the tomb is the body out of the tomb. And so then we looked at a portion of scripture that says that our Resurrected bodies are going to be like Christ's body. So we spent time looking at the resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ, centering in on what we can learn about his body from those resurrection appearances. And we said that his body indeed was of flesh and bone. We said that uh, it was possible to actually put the one's hand into the nail prints from his uh, hands and, and uh, the spear thrust in his side, that it was the body that was on the cross, was the resurrection body in which he stood before his disciples. We saw that he ate in that resurrection body, and therefore I said that maybe a lot of those passages that talk about us feasting and eating with the Lord are not just um, to be spiritualized or uh, allegorical or, or metaphorical, but could be taken very literally, uh, that we are going to be uh, feasting. And uh, we'll talk more about that in a few weeks. Uh, But then also we saw that there were qualities to his his body that were quite unique. We saw that he could walk through doors and windows. uh, And uh, we said that maybe that's not uh, perhaps uh, a quality of the resurrection body, but simply because he is the Son of God, because of his deity. And mentioned that there were things in his earthly body, such as the ability to walk on water, that we can't do. And so maybe that is not a characteristic of his, of his uh, resurrection body, but rather a characteristic of him as being the son of God. 
Last week, we focused our attention on when will the resurrection appear. We said, uh, when will the resurrection take place? And uh, we said that the resurrection for believers takes place at a time different from the resurrection of the non-believers. The resurrection of believers takes place when the Lord returns to this earth. And uh, we noted that it is in order that we might uh, participate in the millennial reign of Christ and uh, the saints that died before. And they are going to participate in the uh, millennial reign of Christ. And then at the end of the millennial period, uh, the non-believers are resurrected and they are judged and they are uh, cast out and uh, uh, into hell. So tonight, I want us to take a kind of bird's eye view of the, the scripture, uh, a really big view of, of trying to understand redemptive history and the plan of God in its totality. Uh, to, to really see the great work that Christ has done and is, in, and is doing in uh, redemption. So, introduction. What purpose does the millennial reign of Christ serve? Why is a millennium needed? Uh, what uh, do we lose if we would not hold to a millennial view of the reign of Christ? How does the present aspect of the kingdom fit in with the future aspect of the millennial kingdom? In the redemptive work of Christ, he restores and embraces, enhances mankind's expression of the image of God. The theme, the millennial reign of Christ is needed in order to fulfill the redemptive work of Christ in restoring mankind's expression of the image of God. That's what I'm going to unpack for you tonight. We're not going to exhaust that. Uh, there are going to be more that I have to say next week and the weeks following. But key verses. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created them. Only mankind is capable of showing forth the, the image of God. In Exodus 20, verse 4, it says, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. King James, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. You're not to make an image out of stone because by its very nature, it can't represent a living and true God. A piece of stone cannot reflect the person and nature of a living God. Only that which is living can reflect the true character and nature of God. And only within creation is mankind able to show forth the image of God. So, number one, the first Adam was made in the image of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, the image of God is twofold. The image of God is displayed in relationship. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
Number one, the relationships that are to be displayed are a oneness of unity. The oneness of God is seen in the plural pronouns and singular nouns. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image, singular, according to our likeness, singular. You see, it's a plurality of the Godhead. Of course, we find out in Scripture that there are three persons in the Godhead, but only one image. There are three persons, but only one likeness. The image that we are to reflect is the image of the triune God. So, how does mankind, who is not Trinitarian, how is it that we are able to display the Trinity? And the answer to that is that God made us male and female in order to represent a relationship that is demonstrated in the Trinity. So, B, the oneness of relationship was to be displayed in the marriage of Adam and Eve. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So that aspect of becoming one is the unity that is to be reflective of the unity in the Godhead. However, as a result of the fall, that image of oneness was marred. The oneness of marriage was marred. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Then after the fall, then the, both of their eyes of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. To the woman, he said, after the fall, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and pain you shall bring forth children. And then this statement, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So the relationship that was to be demonstrated was marred after the fall. Now, the wife wants the husband's role and the husband does not exercise authority in the proper way, but rules with harshness. So the relationship no longer reflects the kind of love and fellowship that is experienced in the Trinity. Two, the oneness among brothers and sisters was marred. And uh, Cain told his, Abel his brother, and it came about when they were both in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And so there's not this love and concern, but now there's hatred and anger and bitterness and murder. I'm going to say a, a whole lot more about that because we want to focus on the second aspect. The image of God is displayed in mankind's kingship or rule over the earth. Then God said, let us make man our image after our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So this is also a part of God's image, namely his rule over creation. Number one, the dominion of Adam is seen in his naming of the animals In naming the animals. Adam is expressing purpose for the animals. Number one. Adam was developed the 
uh, animal world, putting them to good use and fulfilling God's purpose in creating them. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Uh, that is much more than calling them Fred or Dick or, or Harry or Hey You. But the idea there is that in naming them, he is categorizing them. He is placing them in a way in which they are to be used. Genesis 2.20 and the man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. You see, how does that wild conjunctive work? Why is that there, that last statement? Because as he was categorizing all the animals, none of them was appropriate for him to have a relationship with. None of them was suitable for the calling that God had for Adam. Too. However, there was none among the animal kingdom that could help Adam in fulfilling God's purpose for his own life. No one that could show forth the image of God. In the creative act of God, he has purpose for all that he has made. Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth the host by number. He calls them all by name. Same phrase of which Adam is to name the animals. But you see in Isaiah verse 40, chapter 40, verse 26, that's more than just the fact that God is so knowledgeable and wise that he's able to put a name to every star. But rather it is saying that in creating this universe, everything that he has made, including the most minute star, has a purpose and has a reason. And he has set it in this marvelous universe that we live in, in order to fulfill the purpose for which he made it. Two, Adam's dominion was to be exercised in two ways. First, Adam was to develop the earth. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it. He was to be creative in the exercise of his dominion over the earth. There was gold to mine or pan for. There were precious metals and stones to utilize. Genesis 2, 10, 11, and 12. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it divided and became four, four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. The bedellum and the onyx stone are there. And then it goes on to talk about the natural resources that God Made, And he put mankind in charge over those natural resources to cultivate it, to develop it. And in that, we show forth the image and character of God. As God is a creator, so we are to be creative in our use of the creation. We are to... Develop purpose for the wood, for the stones. We're to put them to good use, even as God had a purpose in making us in all creation. Now all creation is to serve our purpose in bringing honor and glory to God. 
So we show forth the image of God in our creativity. Secondly, Adam was to protect and preserve the earth. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden and cultivated. We looked at number one. And secondly, to keep it. God had made everything good and it was to be kept in good condition. However, Adam failed miserably in that dominion and thus marred the image of God. Adam failed in protecting and preserving Eve. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the tree, uh, excuse me, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. So Adam is standing by the side of Eve and watches her eat and then he eats. He was to be the keeper. He was to be the protector. He was to guard her and he didn't. He didn't. He failed. And as a result, he failed in protecting the family of God's image. And that was marred. So that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. See, Adam failed in protecting and keeping the earth. Not only had his sin marred God's purpose for Adam and his family, it had marred God's purpose for all of creation. Then to Adam, he said, this is God after the fall, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I command you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall grow for you. Now the process of developing the earth was going to be much more difficult and frustrating. Now work would not be a source of joy as the creative work had been for God, but now work would be a source of toilsome effort. This, uh, again, I'm not going to say a lot more about tonight, but uh, I will in the future, uh, next couple weeks. We're going to look at Romans and some other passages. But tonight, let me just say that what I'm trying to get across is that every aspect of the fall, is going to be dealt with. Every consequence of Adam's sin is going to be removed. Not just for Adam, and not just for posterity, but for all of creation. My favorite Christmas song is Joy to the World. Unfortunately, it ought to be a millennial song. But listen to the words. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow Far as the curse is found. You see, that is so biblical that Christ comes to cause his blessings to flow to the full extent that the curse came upon creation. 
The redemptive work of Jesus Christ removes the curse. Not just for Adam, but for all of creation. Now, people who are amillennialists would say amen to what I just said, but they would view the new heaven and new earth as being the fulfillment of removing that curse and setting everything right on this earth, etc., etc., etc. So we want to move to why is the millennium necessary? Two, through Christ, the second Adam, the image of God is not only restored but enhanced. Christ is the second Adam. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. It is a new start for mankind. Now, we who were in relationship to Adam now can become in relationship to Christ. Christ as the second Adam is the express, perfect, exact image of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Colossians 1.15 And he is like the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1.3, and who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3, NAS, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. So Jesus comes and he is the exact image of God. He shows forth. The glory of God in relationship and in dominion. So that Christ is the true expression of God in both relationship and rule. As Christians, the image of God is renewed in us as we are united to Christ and conformed to the image of Christ. Through union with Christ, the image of God is being restored in regenerate mankind. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. And do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its practices and put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You see, we are being reworked with the intent that we would show forth the true image of God. The purpose in Saving us is to regenerate and renew us so that now we would show forth the true image, character of God in relationship and dominion. Two, through union with Christ, the image of God is being restored as a result of being conformed to Christ's image. For whom he foreknow, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image, uh, into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. But notice it says we are being transformed. This is a process that we are now undergoing. 
Through union with Christ, we have the image of God restored that was marred through our union with Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly, that's Adam, we also bear the image of the heavenly, which is the second Adam. We, in our sinful nature, showed forth the marred image that Adam did. Now, in union with Christ, we're able to show forth the image of the Lord Jesus Christ who is made in the express image of God. So that, number one, uh, D, the image of God's oneness and relationship is being restored. The oneness and relationship was to be displayed in a marriage is being restored. I'm going to skip some material here. Number two, the oneness of relationship among brothers and sisters in Christ is restored. We're to have a oneness of, as Christians that reflects the oneness of the Trinity. Look at John 17:20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us. That we, the world may believe that thou didst send me. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are. You see, that we would show forth the kind of unity that exists in the Godhead. That in our relationship as Christians, we now start showing the character and the relationship, the mutual submission, the headship, all that goes on in the Trinity is now to be displayed among our relationships as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I, I failed uh, in trying to be quick tonight of looking at the passage where after uh, Abel, excuse me, after Cain kills Abel, God says to him, where is your, your brother? And uh, Cain's response is, am I my, my brother's keeper? Key word, keeper. It's the same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis of, Abraham, of Adam's responsibility to uh, cultivate and keep. It is a really flippant answer. It is almost an unimaginable answer that, that Cain gives to God. God says, where is your brother? He says, is it my responsibility to watch out for his spiritual well-being? Keep it. Preserve it. Watch over. Protect it. Is that my responsibility? Well, of course it was. And he violated it completely by, by murdering him. But you see, this oneness of relationship is to be restored. Seen in marriages, so that it's important that our marriages are loving and, and uh, that there's a proper responsibility of, of submission of wife to husband, a proper leadership, because it all reflects the nature of the Trinity. Roman numeral three. Now I'm going to slow down because this is really what I want to focus on tonight. Number three. The image of God's dominion 
is being restored in the second Adam. Through union with Christ, the second Adam, the dominion over the earth will be restored. But one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that thou rememberest him? Or the son of man that thou art concerned about him? Thou hast made him a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor and hast appointed him over the works of thy hands. Notice, what is man? Why do you care about man? Why does God die for man? What is it about man? And hast appointed him head over the works of your hands. Why did you put mankind over your creation? Over what you made? Hebrews 2.8 Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. From subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not see all things subjected to him. That's referring to Jesus Christ. And it's referring to his work as a man. The God-man. As man, in the God-man, God placed everything under his feet. He was to have dominion over all things. And it says we don't yet see that. It's taking place. It's a done deal. God is entrusting these things, but yet we don't see it actively. Number one, Christ will preserve the earth by godly rule. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. In Matthew, there is a ongoing theme that Jesus is the son of David. Because in his rule, he is taking on the kingship in which David was to show forth the glory and power of God. It was God's intent that Israel, through its kingship, would display a righteousness, a holiness, and a justice to all the nations round about it that did not serve or fear God. That they would be a unique nation. And their kingship would be unique. But even David failed miserably in demonstrating the kingship of God. We know that he committed adultery. We know that he had uh, Uriah the Hittite killed. David did not show forth the glory of God as he should. But Jesus will be the son of David that will be the true king and govern this world in righteousness and holiness and justice. Two, Christ is the second Adam will rule perfectly. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from the roots will bear fruit. 
And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees. Nor make a decision by what he hears. But with righteousness he will judge the poor. And decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt around his loins. And faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the kid. And the calf and young lion and the uh, fading uh, together. And a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the, uh, the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. All of that second part is future to tonight. Tonight I want to emphasize that he is going to rule with righteousness. So to page four, uh, excuse me, Roman numeral number four. The future reign of Christ as the second Adam in the millennium is the establishment of man's earthly rule that displays fully the image of God. A. The aspect of all things in subjection to Christ is a future aspect of the kingdom. Hebrews 2.8 Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not see yet all things subjected to him. It is essential that in the future, as part of God's kingdom, we as a regenerate mankind, renewed in the image of God, reign over the earth. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. But we reign with Jesus Christ. We are set over as underlings the entire earth and unregenerate mankind. And so we reign under the authority of Jesus Christ. But we are going to be resurrected. We're going to be transformed. And we will rule in righteousness and in justice and in holiness. And we will not sin or fail as Adam did, as David did. We will reign under the authority of Jesus Christ, but we are going to reign in true righteousness and holiness. See, the rule is significant for it is a rule with Christ. It is a fullness of the expression of the image of Christ, both in oneness, relationship, and dominion rule. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. A restoration not only of the fact of the rule, but also restoration of the relationship of the rule. We will rule alongside of Christ. We will rule under the authority of Christ. We will rule in keeping with the manner of Christ. We will rule in displaying the true image of God. So that that oneness will be seen in our relationships to each other and to Jesus Christ. The future millennial kingdom will consummate in the final and ultimate glory of God. This happens. This helps us to see why millennial kingdom is needed 
and not just the new heaven and new earth in the eternal state. There will come a time when Christ's rule as the second Adam comes to an end. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end when he, it's referring to Jesus, delivers up the kingdom to God the Father. You see, that can't be the new heaven and new earth. That can't be eternity future. That's referring to an earthly kingdom, yet future to us, in which he is going to turn over that kingdom to the Father. B, the rule will come to an end when Christ has subdued all his enemies. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Armageddon will occur. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Remember last week we looked at when will the resurrection of the non-believer take place? It's the end of the millennium. Why does it happen at the end of the millennium? It's the last conquering work of Jesus Christ to abolish death. So that uh, Revelation 20, verse 4, if you see there in the, in the dark, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. And then the rest receive judgment, which is the top of page 11. D. The turning of the kingdom over to the, to the Father is future and is not present. Then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to God the Father. When he abolished all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. You see, where amillennialism fails is that it recognizes the future, the present aspect of the kingdom, which is valid. There's a sense in which Christ is ruling now, and there's a sense in which he rules in the hearts of his people. But it fails to recognize the necessity of Christ reigning over an unregenerate people in absolute righteousness and holiness in order to fulfill the redemptive work of Jesus Christ that is taking care of every aspect of the, of the curse. E, the turning of the kingdom over to the Father is the last act of obedience of the second Adam resulting in the honor and glory of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then he comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to God the Father when he has abolished all rule, authority, and power. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, that God may be all in all. Now that is not denying the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ at all, but it is emphasizing that in his humanity, he is reigning to fulfill all of the promises concerning the Davidic kingdom, and God's purpose in creating man to, to show forth God's image. And when Jesus does that, then that kingdom comes to an end. And then there's a new heaven, a new earth, and then things start over. And we'll look at starting over. But you see, they don't start over until the previous has been completed. Until it's been finished. And this is 
the finishing of it. This is the completion of it. This is Jesus setting everything straight. Which provides the way for the new heaven and the new earth. For the redemptive work of Christ has been fulfilled. We will look in the future at Romans that says that even now creation groans, waiting for the uh, uh, manifestation of uh, the sons of God, our resurrection. There's a reality to that. Uh, Creation is under a curse, but it's going to be done away with. F. Thus, the second Adam fulfills God's purpose for mankind that was marred through the first Adam and bringing honor and glory to God and having a righteous dominion over the earth. And being found in appearance as a fashion of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow of both things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That brings glory to the Father. But notice that it is achieved through Christ's obedient death on the cross. And then God exalts him in his manhood. God exalts him because God is pleased with Jesus Christ. He has fulfilled the role of the second Adam. And so it will be that every knee is going to bow and every every tongue is going to confess his mastery, his kingship, all resulting in the honor and glory of God because it reflects the true nature, the true the, the, the true. Uh, purpose of God. So, concluding applications. A. We need to be showing forth the image of God as inhabitants of His kingdom. We are translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And the purpose of God saving us is to transform and renew our image so that we might act in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in our relationships and in our exercise of authority, we are to be um, showing forth the image of God. So B, we should be showing forth the image of God in the oneness of our relationships. C, we should be showing forth the image of God in cultivating and keeping uh, nature uh, of the exercise of all rule and authority. Our relationships should reflect the oneness of the Godhead, that is, the love, commitment, and subjection that is to be seen in the Godhead. And the exercise of our authority should reflect the character of God and the exercise of His authority. That is, our aim should be to develop, cultivate all of creation, That is, that our aim should be to protect, keep all of creation. All of our relationships and the exercise of any authority should bring honor and glory to God. That's what we're about now. Showing forth the image of God. God's at work in us, transforming us in our relationships, in our exercise of authority, in order to show forth the character of God. But you see... There is a need for Jesus Christ to rule over this earth. That there would be a man 
that would fulfill God's purpose for Adam. And Christ fulfills that purpose in relationship, loving us, caring for us, keeping us, dying for us. Certainly, if you look at the one who is to have a spiritual concern and care for that which he rules over, there is no example like Jesus. In his care for us, in his faithfulness to us, in his commitment to us, how unabashedly he submits himself actually to us for our well-being, for our good. And then, not only in relationship, but it's necessary for this millennial kingdom, for Jesus Christ to be reigning on this earth, to show forth the character of God in the way in which he rules this earth. In absolute righteousness, without partiality, can't be bribed, will not sin, and has the wisdom and knowledge to make all the right decisions, knows exactly what to do. You see, he has, he has the wisdom of a Solomon. And greater wisdom than Solomon. He has a love for God, even as David was a man after God's own heart, but a love that is greater than David's love. You take all the best kings that are manifested over Israel, and none of them compares to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we are going to be privileged not only to see it, but to participate in it. That rule and that kingship. And it will be glorious. It will be a delight. And he will put down all rebellion, all authority, all unrighteousness. For he will reign in justice. And that's the purpose of the millennial kingdom. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your great grace and goodness. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. And uh, we look forward to his reign over all things. So, even as Jesus taught us to pray, we pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, help us who have been made a part of your kingdom even now to show forth the true image of Jesus Christ, who is the true image of of yourself. Lord, help us to be righteous. Help us to be loving. Help us to be committed to one another. Help us to be faithful. Help us to show forth the character of God as we exercise authority, as we are heads of, of families, as we are at a workplace. Anytime that we have exercise over others, Lord, help us to show forth the character, the dominion of God. Help us to be creative and to use the gifts and the talents that we have to make this world a better place. And in so doing, show forth the, the character of a creative God of wisdom and might and does all things good. And Lord, help us to welcome the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives. and Help us to long for that day in which that reign is going to be fully realized, even here on this earth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, and you are dismissed.